Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm chatting with Jessica Irarty, Senior Manager of Data Science at Vroom. In addition to her work at Vroom, Jessica has published over 20 papers, is an inventor with multiple patent-pending technologies, and is the recipient of the Denver Business Journal Top Women in Energy Award and SPE Young Member Outstanding Service Award. In this episode, Jessica shares her journey into data science, tips for understanding business problems and communicating with stakeholders, and the value of publishing your work and patenting your technology. This conversation got me super excited about the opportunity and need for invention in the data science and AI space and how valuable it is to publish your work. I'm sure you'll feel the same and I hope you will enjoy the conversation. Well, Jessica, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today because you have an amazing list of accomplishments. Currently, the Senior Manager of Data Science at Vroom. You also have some patent pending technologies out there. You've published over 20 papers. I was like, this woman is amazing and i'm so excited to hear more of your story and get some insights from you about your experiences working in technology particularly the energy and automotive industries and also all your work in publishing and inventing things which is the best part so thank you so much for joining us on the data bytes podcast and taking the time to share your knowledge and wisdom with us Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So you actually started um, as a petroleum engineer and then transitioned from engineering into data science. And we know that technology, women's representation in technology is usually fairly limited, but I would also assume it's limited in the energy, automotive, petroleum industry like how did you ever even get started in that industry as well and what led you to focus a little bit more on data science yeah um and i agree with you like i would say definitely even more so or 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 less female presence for sure um in these industries um so i actually grew up in an oil town in venezuela um, so I was kind of surrounded by this industry and I loved science and physics and math, um, I guess in middle school and high school. 
Um, but I also love traveling. And um, I guess the idea of working in such an international or working abroad or with an international workforce was also very enticing. And that kind of drove me to all of these things really drove me to pursue petroleum engineering. Um, and then I started working in the field and I really was fascinated with the magnitude of the operations, the technical challenges, and really understanding the unknown of what is happening underground. Um, eventually, after working in the industry for a few years, I quit my job and I moved to the States to pursue my master's degree. And I would say that kind of started my journey in data because I was my research, I was collecting a lot of data and I kind of had to figure out how to uh, handle it and make stories out of it. So, and at the same time, I started working for a tech company here in Denver that is at the intersection between tech and oil. And that truly sparked my interest in tech and data. So today, is there one particular moment that you can remember in your journey that like, really sparked your interest? Like, was it a problem you're working, were working on? And what made you go like, yes, this is the place for me to be. And this is where I want to devote more of my time and my research into the automotive and energy industry. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know that there is like a aha moment. I think all of it has been really exciting. I think one thing these industries have in common, I would say, is, you know, the large operations involved, the large logistics, um, the drive for being more efficient, but at the same time for disruptive sort of, or for disrupting how traditional industries or supply chain, you know, systems historically have worked. So I would say that part is very exciting. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I can recall a, a specific moment. I think in oil and gas, it is very data intensive. And the science part is so, so interesting. Again, it's just so fascinating to, you don't really ever get to see what's happening underground. It, a lot of the decisions and a lot of the planning, the development comes from data interpretation. Um, and I think data analytics and data science just kind of like 10x that, right? Because you can um, add so much more to the traditional ways of, of what, how we were handling data in that industry. Um, yeah, I, I would say at Vroom or at my current job, there are so many different challenges that are so interesting because we are, again, working in this intersection of logistics and transactions and e-commerce. Um, and trying to completely change how we buy and sell cars um, across the nation, where you know businesses run differently, regulations are differently, um, and it is a very large country as well. So um, shipping cars across it is is a fun challenge for sure. Yeah. So data to me is kind of like our sixth sense. Right, right. We have our sight and our ears and our hearing. And I love what you mentioned that some of the problems that you're working on, a lot of times you can't 
see underground or work with some of the machines. So we have to use data as like that added sense to get insight and to be able to make those decisions. And I love the fact that you mentioned the types of problems you're working on are these large scale problems that span lots of different um, kind of industries from logistics and e-commerce and transactions. So it sounds like there are a lot of really hard problems that you are working on today. Like, How do you decide where to focus your time um, given just the breadth of data and the overall problem of how do you ship a car across the country and allow people to buy it easier and access it? And then how do you turn that into a data problem? So how do you focus your time and choose the problems that are most valuable for you and your team to work on today? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a combination of, you know, obviously partnering with and collaborating with the product teams and the stakeholders to figure out where we prioritize. Like one thing, for example, we, we have two things that are priority right now for us, uh, which is on the financing side and on the title and registration side. Um, so Vroom recently acquired a financing company to offer loans to subprime borrowers. Um, so basically we're working on helping that team understand and predict how um, we can manage or um, even help mitigate, you know, the risks of these kind of loans. Um, so obviously that's, that is a big priority because we recently uh, acquired this company. On the other side, there is a lot of interesting challenges when it comes to title and registration because, you know, each state has different regulations, requirements, and processes. So um, helping those teams be more efficient and, and working around some of these challenges, making it um, just optimizing processes a lot, but also providing more transparency to our customers so they have more visibility or of where they are in this process um, and how, I guess, how the whole uh, process is progressing. So you mentioned that you're starting to work with the finance team, you work with registration, optimization, and privacy. You know, these are again, expanding the areas that you first mentioned too, of logistics and transactions and e-commerce. And one of the problems you see a lot in data science is not understanding the business problem initially. And if you don't understand the business and how it functions or the business problem properly, like it's your project's going to get delayed. You're not going to get the right results and impact. So when you're given these new types of problems to work on or new departments within the, the company and the organization, like how do you yourself really get to know that section of the business, especially when you've just acquired a new business so that you can make sure you're delivering the right solution? Because it seems that a lot of data scientists really struggle with that business understanding side of things. And you seem to have a knack for working across lots of verticals and industries. So do you have any tips for us there? Um, yeah, I mean, the most, I would say the straightforward answer is go and talk to your stakeholders and whoever are the experts on that data. Um, and first of all, that creates trust, trust because um, you are naming them the experts, right? So you're asking the questions, you interview them, you try to understand 
what is the process today? How can it be improved? What are the challenges? And then potentially start providing value with, I always like to have some early analysis or early insights that can create that trust where even, especially where when stakeholders or when these teammates are not necessarily used to working with data science or data analytics team and, and they don't see the value. Um, and those interactions really help you, you know, especially showing early results or any insights that sparks curiosity and that sparks questions from the team. And that gives you more insights into what their challenges were thinking and what could be the next questions that they, they need answer from. So, um, I would say always reaching out. Uh, you know, across departments, talking to the experts, they want the people that are working on these processes every day or with this data or actually generating the data, inputting the data um, and understanding their challenges and, and trying to identify where you can add value quickly. So this may sound like a, a bit of a silly question, um, because I think you're spot on in terms of talk to your stakeholders, the importance of building trust. But I know for a lot of us, there can be times when it's like, I don't want to feel like a bother or what if they think that I'm stupid by asking these questions or am I sure they're going to take the time to like show me how they input the data? Like, how do you get over that at first, maybe initial fear of like being a bother or asking dumb questions so that you can start to initiate that conversation, build some of those early insights and start to build that trust. Um, how do you do that is your question? Yeah. Do you have any tips for people like how, if there's any fear be, you know, to like have conversations with stakeholders, like how do you overcome some of that fear? Yeah. Um, definitely. So, um, a good way to overcome that fear, I would say is write down some questions, um, maybe try to do some reading beforehand. So you have some knowledge if you feel afraid of not having any knowledge at all. Although most of the time people are not really judging you or not having domain expertise. Um, so it's a little bit more of personal work on overcoming that fear but you know being prepared for the meeting where you have an agenda so you have like specific questions that you want to ask you want to answer um if you don't feel comfortable doing that on your own potentially having a teammate or a manager that can come with you to that meeting so you can feel a little more confident going and asking these questions um but most of the time people love answering questions people love having the answer, feeling the experts, like um, they have the information. And a lot of the times, most often than not, I would say you are not bothering the other person. They feel flattered that um, you are going to them to ask these questions. And they also, again, if they start to see that they're also going to get something out of this relationship because you're providing them insights, uh, you're maybe providing them model eventually um, or any other type of solution, um, I think they will immediately see the gain or the win-win of this relationship. 
Yes, I am glad you shared that reminder that most people actually enjoy you coming to people. I know for a lot of people taking that first step to have that conversation can be a bit scary, um, but I found out early on in my career there was nothing to be afraid of because people enjoy being the expert, as you mentioned, and more importantly, if you're genuinely curious about them and what they do, most of the time they don't get the opportunity to share it. You know, their family's not asking them details about the intricacies of their job. And so having the opportunity to have somebody to share that with is helpful. Um, I know early on in my career, exactly. I'd have something called, yeah, have called data curiosity um, meetings with people and just tell them, Hey, I want to have a curiosity meeting with you. I'd love to learn more about your job and what you do. And I think out of 50 invites, there's only two people who never replied. So I think you mentioned such a great reminder for people, which is like, everybody likes to talk about themselves and love it when people are genuinely curious. Exactly. And I love that, the curiosity meeting. I mean, and I think at the beginning of any data project, there is a discovery phase. So, you know, you could use that as your excuse to be like, okay, I'm in my discovery. I'm, I'm just trying to be curious. I'm just trying to learn about this uh, and see if I can help you. So I just want to understand what are your challenges? What do you do today and how can I help you? And I think starting the conversation that way, it's always um, very welcoming. So talking about curiosity, I have some curiosity on your perspective on where the future of data science is going. I mean, being somebody who's worked in the industry for a period of time now and got so much experience in different industries and on different problems, like what excites you about data science today? And where do you think it's going that makes you excited about continuing to work in this field? That is a very hard question. <laughs> um, I don't know, frankly, if I, if I have the answer for what's the future of data science. Um, but I would say what is next is more transparency, more visibility, um, new opportunities for reducing waste. Um, thinking more so on the industry that I've worked on or that I'm currently working on, consumers are seeking more transparency and what's the word? Um, more visibility. Um, so especially I think that in supply chain and in energy sources in general, people are wanting to know what is in the products that they buy or consume, where are they coming from? Um, and I don't know, perhaps will be leveraging blockchain and decentralized systems for providing these sort of more open, um, I guess, open source of data in, um, again. So, but I know that the future is beyond, much more beyond like efficiencies and optimizations, that there has to be a new wave of, of innovation that will bring completely new solutions and product. Um, I don't know what that is, but, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, so I think it'd be great to shift gears a little bit in terms of some of your publishing and patents. So you have published over 20 papers and you've received over 100 citations. And some of these papers have been published outside of your time in academia. And just 
for those listeners, I think it's just helpful to note that yes, you can still publish papers <laughs> once you leave academia. Um, and if those who really enjoy publishing papers while they were in academia, do you have some additional insight into how to go through that process, not being a part of an educational institution, um, but you think some of the findings in your work have been really valuable. Like, how do you start that process in terms of publishing a paper when you're not in your PhD or postdoc or a professor at an academic institution? Yeah. Um, and thank you for that. I didn't realize that was the total number. I don't really keep accounts, especially on citations. So um, that's really cool. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, how to get started, you know, start writing as soon as you have, you start your research. So even during your early stages, all your trials, document everything that you're, you're working on. Um, because even though you might seem at the moment like, oh, this didn't work, this is kind of like not worth even uh, mentioning, at some point it might become, you know, these are learnings. So in publishing both good and bad results is, is valuable because other people are also going to build into your research and those learnings will be valuable for them as well. Um, I would say finesse and attention to detail are so important. Um, how you present your work is just so important. And, and you might have groundbreaking work, but if you are not basically selling it right, if you're not presenting your graphs correctly, what they can be easily interpreted, um, it will not be well received. Um, it, it, and it's also very important, especially to think about your audience. Like when you write your title and your abstract, these are key for, first of all, um, getting a first view of your work, but also to get accepted to, to a publication. They should reflect what the paper is about. So um, always have reviewers, always get the feedback of people and like, what, how do you interpret this title? What do you think I'm gonna talk about in this paper? Because believe it or not, it is so important and it will make a whole difference on what people, the pe like the audience's perspective on what this is about. Um, and I will take this opportunity to give a shout out to my go-to reviewer, Chris Watley. She's amazing. Um, you know, always do your background research, uh, check previous publications and sources, and give credit to these previous authors by citing their work. Um, at the end of the day, you're always building a top of previous work. And whether that is more on the positive side, you know, adding to their findings, or I would say on the more negative side, maybe challenging or contradicting the results, um, you're still building on top of that. So I will even go beyond giving just credit, but also be kind to previous work because they had a time and they had a space. And regardless, they are the base for you to, for your need, for the work that you're doing today. And I personally like to create that environment of kindness to express and receive criticism um, because I will happily be open about mine as well. Um, as long as it's respectful and it comes you know, from facts and not from ego. So, and, and you know. No, that's such sorry. a great reminder to be kind because I know that 
early on in my career, I sadly, you know, I was in a business function team as a data scientist and would be frustrated with how the engineers had designed a data model or how some system was designed. Cause I was like, this is just, why would someone ever do this? And so then I switched teams and worked on the data engineering team. And you find out that there's always a reason behind it. And a lot of times that was the best solution at the time with the limitations that people had. And I think that's such a good reminder for all of us is, hey, be kind to the prior work that you found results on or the models that you're using from someone else. Because usually there's a really good backstory in terms of why those results were found and all of that leads us to build upon that body of work. Exactly. And nothing says that you won't be in that position at some point. I have been personally in the audience listening to someone present work where they were criticizing mine while their work was completely a continuation or a more in-depth study. And it's like, accept that not you're not going to invent everything or discover everything and that there is a scope to each paper as well. So it's okay there are limitations to that and that leaves open ground for new you know, researchers or publishers to come and do that work. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I love the quote that says it's more, it's easier to criticize than it is to create. And I think that's so important to remember that Anytime someone's criticizing our work, I'm like, well, I created it and that was the hard part. And it's much easier to judge and criticize something than it is to create it. So thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. So some of the things you mentioned going through this publishing process feel like they would be good for any data scientist to have just in general, right? The attention to detail, the understanding your audience and really crafting your message and distilling it down to what resonates with your audience and then having reviewers. These all these things all sound like they'd be applicable to anybody in data science. Would you recommend that anyone start looking at their projects of like, hey, this could be a project that I may publish and I need to start like collecting the level of details for it and thinking through what my findings are. Do you think just going through that process of publishing adds additional rigor to your work that enhances what you do? Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say if you were on that journey and you wanted to get your work published, you know, obviously, you know, try to start small as well. Um, but I do love the point that you're making because first of all, it's so important data science to follow all of these steps, but also it is like a more, you do get vulnerable. You know, you're going to be in a vulnerable space where you're going to publish your work and you're going to be open to that criticism, which is not kind all the time, but you'll get feedback and hopefully that will get you working on iterating on your model or getting new ideas for your model. And that comes back to then the reminder for all of us to <laughs> to be kind to one another as we go through that process. So um, for those who are wanting to go through this publishing process, any tips for them in terms of where to start and where to go to get some of their work published? Yeah, 
Um, that is a really good question. So I would say do research on what publications are available or conferences are available and select the appropriate one. Um, unfortunately, you know, the process might be a little rigged sometimes. And I have also been a part of committees and so I'll be kind to committee members. Um, but the committee, you know, might continue to select publications or uh, papers that are coming from renowned publishers, right? Because um, they're authors that they know and they respect and they can trust that their work is going to come through uh, for their publications. So maybe start smaller uh, into more local events, find local magazines or publications that might get your work out. I know it, it doesn't sound like the most exciting or the, or, um, yeah, or like you're gonna get a lot of recognition from that. But if your work is impactful and it gets people talking, you will get invited to talk about it to maybe bigger conferences, or maybe you you get uh, quoted into a bigger publication or they, they'll publish a summary of your paper. So eventually, you know, if you're consistent with it, eventually you get a name as an author and you get invited into bigger conferences or into more renowned publications. Um, I would say another trick is to find an already, like an author that it's already renowned. This is easier in academia, right? Because you have an advisor that might have already have a name and that helps you get accepted into these um, journals or conferences. But maybe you can find someone within your company or in another company that will partner with you in this study or in this publication that will increase the chances of you getting, of your work getting accepted for this publication. So it sounds like this process is a lot like breaking into a new industry or into the field in general. Like you got to get your foot in the door somewhere and start to get that experience. And then as you get that experience, you can start to move up to different companies or different industries in your dream job. And it sounds like the best place is to just get started. Exactly. So in addition to publishing numerous papers, you are also the inventor of several patent pending technologies. So you are definitely one busy person, I would assume. And tell me a little bit more about this, because I think for a lot of our listeners, when they don't even know that you can patent different inventions that you have, um, but like, what made you go down this path? And how do you know if something is actually that you create is actually worth patenting yeah that is it's a good question it's really hard to know but i think that chances are if you are working in this field and you are surrounded by people that work in the field um and you attend conferences you know the people who are inventing and are researching and then publishing new work um chances are that you know what is uh new um, or what is worth, you know, kind of inventing. Um, obviously, not all the time there is confidential work happening, and and even if you do research and read about the existing work on on trying to find the patents that have been filed, um, might be a little tricky because provisional patent submissions can be hidden from the public up to a year. Um, 
but maybe you know if you do think that you have something worth um, submitting for a patent, then I would say your first step is definitely putting your ideas in paper, write all the details in a very descriptive way. These will be very helpful for your patent lawyers. Also, it will probably reduce their time working on it, or it will be cheaper for you, most likely, to file it. Um, and then, um, you know, review it with a patent lawyer. They can also advise you on how patentable this is or not. Um, and then the steps is, are kind of simple. You submit a provisional patent. Uh, the day that you submit that provisional is uh, will mark your priority filing date from the U.S. Patent Office. Um, and then that gives you 12 months um, of um, to convert this provisional patent into a non-provisional, um, which is like the permanent, basically. I don't know why they call it that way. Um, but basically, throughout that time, you can add additional work that you have built on top of it, um, or you can submit it as soon as you want, up to that 12-month period. Um, and while that application is being reviewed, you get the legal patent pending status. Um, and I would say additionally to that, you can decide whether you also file it international, because you can do US or international, and then you can decide specific countries. Um, that gets a little more tricky, and I'm not really an expert on that part. So it sounds like similar to the publishing papers, like this is a good process to go through as well, just in terms of, hey, you might find out you do have something valuable and that if you patent it, then more people can have awareness to your creation and there's a well thought out process of what you need to go through. It's worth taking a chance and creating the documentation early on in your creation so that you have the opportunity to do that. Yes. And if you are filing patents, for example, you're already documenting all of this to such a detail. Once you have filed your provisional, you are allowed to talk about it and publish it. So you can then just basically take that documentation and, and submit it for a publication and kind of double down on that documentation work. I love it. You're giving everybody tips of how to maximize our work and have the biggest impact. So thank you. So maybe patenting is the first part and then we can get the extra paper along with that. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing all your insights with us. This has been a really exciting conversation, um, but I always like to just have a little bit of fun on the podcast as well and make sure that we get a chance to answer some fun questions. So if you're ready, I'd love to move into the rapid fire questions. Yes, I'm ready. First question, uh, what song do you currently have on repeat? Oh gosh, um, Makinon by Karoji. Favorite place you traveled? Um, Palermo, Italy. Happiness is? Mm. Uh, dancing to Latin music. Ooh, I think that's the first for that one. That's fun. <laughs> In the next five years, I hope to. Mm, 
we retire. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that's very idealistic. I would say uh, potentially being more actively involved in, in nonprofit work that I'm passionate about. And then last but not least, to me, curiosity is. Mm. Um, asking open-ended questions um, from a judgment-free space. Beautiful. I think that sums up what we've chatted about a lot on this podcast and this conversation about being kind and staying curious and open-minded and that judgment-free space. So thank you again for coming on the show. What's the best way for people to stay connected with you, learn more about your work? Um, probably on my LinkedIn page, I would say. Perfect. Well, we will make sure your LinkedIn gets added to the show notes. Um, we'll also add in Jessica's uh, Google Scholar so you can read some of the papers that she has written there and yes look forward to chatting again soon and again thank you for coming on the data bytes podcast thank you so much for having me this is so fun and thank you everyone for tuning in again and listening remember to stay curious and keep keep learning and we will talk to you next time bye everybody Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Data Bytes podcast. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.